Healthcare is rapidly changing. Innovative technologies and new treatment paradigms are changing the way we tackle the world's pervasive health issues. I'm Alex Godin with Oxner Health in New Orleans, Louisiana. Join me as we go inside Louisiana's largest healthcare system, where we discuss new ideas in confronting these healthcare challenges. We talk to thought leaders and healthcare experts to explore the latest innovations in patient care. Welcome to Innovation Health. Almost a year into the COVID-19 pandemic, the conversation has shifted to one prevalent topic, the COVID-19 vaccine. As the vaccine is approved and released, we all have questions about this exciting development. How does it work? Is it safe? When will I be able to get the vaccine? On today's episode of Innovation Health, we are joined by Dr. Julia Garcia-Diaz, Director of Clinical Infectious Diseases Research and Medical Subspecialties here at Oxner Health. Dr. Garcia-Diaz shares her expertise on the COVID-19 vaccine and gives us the latest updates on what we can expect in the coming weeks. I know we all have a lot of questions about this hot new topic. Um, so we're so glad to have you here joining us today, Dr. Garcia-Diaz. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I want to start out and talk about vaccines from a more broad sense. So kind of just in one of their earliest stages, the process of approving a vaccine. Um, a lot of people, I feel like, kind of see this COVID vaccine as having been an extremely expedited process, a lot quicker than what we're used to in terms of vaccine approval. Um, and maybe concerned that maybe some steps were skipped or some things were missed. From a clinical and academic perspective, is this the same sort of approval process most vaccines have? It's the same approval process, but certainly much faster. So one of the typical things that happens with a just a with any a vaccine that gets to market is a sort of a longitudinal process. You start with your animal studies, you move on to sort of the phase one, two, and three, and so on and so forth. And there is a number of sort of halting in in the middle. And usually it's a one company that may pursue this effort. Uh, so one of the things that we saw here, this was not a longitudinal process. It was a parallel process. Mm -hmm. So there were multiple things happening at the same time, which is what I think people sometimes can't visualize very well. Uh, so you had multiple studies going on at the same time, rather than uh, you know, just waiting for that one to uh, to occur. The other thing that was major for this is the collaborations, global collaborations. So, uh, for example, you see AstraZeneca, and you you know with uh, you know the Oxford, and then you see Pfizer with the German uh, company. They both so all of these collaborations globally that have gotten together uh, and sort of getting their technology and being able to collaborate has made that process much faster. Uh, the steps are the same. Uh, and the regulations that are all the regulatory processes that are in place have not been skipped. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, there is a lot more oversight, if you will, uh, just to ensure that that has not occurred. Because it's such a public-facing it's such a public, you know, so, thing right uh, now. It, a tremendous amount of oversight. And yes. it's pretty incredible to think, you know, globally, we have the greatest minds in our world all coming towards this common goal. So that kind of makes sense how we've been able to accomplish this really quickly. And, 
you know, it's nice to really instill that peace of mind and people who are kind of like, well, I'm nervous. What are the what are the side effects? Things like that to know that the proper steps have been taken. Um, and like you were saying, if not more so. Yeah, there's a this... great deal of scrutiny, right. uh, you know, uh, and sort of to kind of exemplify that, you know, the uh, we had two companies paused and uh, and the whole world knew about it within minutes of that occurred. That is a normal process. That what happens with all clinical trials. If something occurs, you pause. Uh, but it's not in the news immediately as it occurs. So a great deal of scrutiny, and there's a lot of regulatory uh, processes in place. And I like that you mentioned that, for example, when a clinical trial has to pause, that that's common. That's Very something common. That, that it's typical, and I think a lot of people may be deterred by that, like, oh, what ha- something went wrong, they had to stop the trial. But that really is just a normal part of creating a vaccine. Um, Kind of also, and you hear a lot when we talk about this process, is the emergency use authorization. So it's perfect timing we have you here today. It's December 11th at 9.47 a.m. for anyone listening. And I want to ask you, what is the current state? We, we heard yesterday about this, I guess, this vote that took place or this kind of FDA panel. Can you explain to everyone what that was and what it means? So there are, there are two companies that are sort of seeking emergency use. One is Pfizer and uh, the other one, is uh, Moderna. They both uh, are almost to the finish line, if you will. And so Pfizer submitted their uh, regulatory, uh, all of their their information back on November the 20th is when they submitted it. So uh, during those uh, two weeks plus that led up to the meeting yesterday, everybody at FDA reviewed the data Mm -hmm. uh, and did a number of things that they reviewed. They reviewed the data for efficacy, for safety, uh, the manufacturing, everything that Pfizer sort of submitted. And then they meet. Uh, it was somewhat about probably eight hour meeting wow. and there's a discussion and it's live so anyone who wants to go on YouTube is available if you have eight hours to spare um, and you can actually watch the entire Did you process watch it? I watch a, a good bit of it and so it's a it's a great process to sort of watch and how everybody sort of comes together um, and they discuss the data and what happened and what is the process that is going to follow after all of this is presented they vote um, and so the vote yesterday was 17 that actually 17 members voted to move ahead and recommended it uh, four uh, were no's and one abstained and so the data that was put forth was for um, uh, subjects greater than 16. So 16 and 17 was sort of the point of big discussion uh, for many, many reasons. Uh, and sort of that's the area that was uh, being discussed yesterday. Uh, so after the vote, there is going to be a decision that will happen hopefully later today, unless it's happening as we are speaking now. Um, so uh, we have so to turn in, our news alerts on. I started news in the back <laughs> and see what's going update. on. It's probably at 10 o'clock. Um, and so they are, and everybody thinks that they're going to move forward. Um, that same and approve panel, it. They'll, they'll be moving right. so again they'll that be, same so they're So FDA is going to make a decision okay. based on the recommendation of, of the that panel. panel. So uh, so it's 17 to 4, so everybody thinks that they will move forward. It, it, is that so, a typical kind of result you would expect? Do we, do we normally see unanimous? In, in a panel like that, or is this pretty I think traditional? that you're always going to find some pieces of the data, and uh, I think if they had taken the pediatric piece, mm-hmm. they perhaps would have been unanimous, because that is the only point uh, that the uh, that the members had an issue with. Um, and so uh, 
So anyway, so we'll see. Stay tuned and see what happens this morning. I think they're going to move forward. Uh, and then we will have an approval uh, of the EUA for the Pfizer vaccine. So. And I do want to talk about, you know, what that will look like once we have approval. But before we move on to that, you mentioned this pediatric set of the data. And I did want to ask because we are doing a clinical trial, I guess, here at Oshner, correct, for pediatrics for this very reason. Can you talk a little bit about that? So one of the things that happens is every vaccine that is given to children has to go through a clinical trial to ensure that it's safe and efficacious for that population. Uh, So that's not unusual. So you can't take the adult vaccine and just give it to children. Mm -hmm. You have to ensure that it's safe in children. So this protocol is started uh, with uh, subjects from the ages of 18 to 85. And then you modify the protocol to enrolled younger um, um, younger uh, subjects, and so that's called an amendment. So an amendment came through, and it allowed us to enroll 16 and 17 year olds. And then the next amendment came through to enroll 12 and 15 year olds. So there is a number that they were looking for somewhere around 600 patients or so. And once that group closed, so we are currently only enrolling 12 to 15. And so that is the group that we are, uh, and our goal uh, US, in the US is to enroll about 2000 kids. Okay, It's really exciting that Oshner is a part of that. Yes. You know, that, that is very cool. Um, and for parents who might be interested or families who are interested in being a part of this, how could they reach out to you guys? So we have an email that's been set up for all our trials. So if they go to COVID vaccine at auctioner.org, uh, and so you'll get an automatic reply and that automatic reply will have a link. And when you go there, there is a number of links and take uh, go to the pediatric. And so the pediatric link will take you to a very short survey. And then you enter the name of your child, how you want to be contacted, and just a couple of questions about your child. And then a member of our team will call you and set up an appointment. Just going back to the EUA and talking about you know the progress we're making there, what is it going to look like when the all clear is given? We have the green light, we have the thumbs up, the vaccine is ready to go. What is that going to look like for Oxner? So one of the things that happens is there is going to be vaccine distributed throughout the U.S., and there's allocations to each state. Uh, so Louisiana is gonna get an allocation, and I don't know that I'm aware what that is. The state sort of kind of says how much that is okay. and uh, and how much we get, and then that will be distributed. And then we'll have uh, sites around our health system uh, to be able to provide the vaccine to our employees, and it'll be according to the current guidance that is being set forth. And that guidance will be set from, would it be the CDC, the FDA, of who should be prioritized Right, and it's already there. been discussed in terms of what are the, uh, so it'll be sort of kind of the healthcare workers. And, okay. uh, first, and then you have those that are also in nursing homes and those types of facilities or in group homes that are sort of a large crowded area. So those are the first ones to, uh, that are going to be moving forward. Which is exciting. Talking about the vaccine itself. So we have two different main ones I feel like everyone's heard about, that Pfizer and the Moderna that you mentioned earlier. Is there a difference between the two? You know, I feel like people aren't used to thinking of vaccines treating one um, specific purpose as having multiple vaccines. You know, you think of the flu vaccine as one entity, but really there's multiple flu vaccines, correct? Correct. So, you know, I think that's been kind of interesting for people to see is like, oh, this is normal to have multiple vaccines for one purpose. But is there a main difference between the two? And so everybody's sort of uh, trying to figure out in terms of, you know, safety and efficacy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so 
Pfizer and Moderna have the same technology, which is a very novel technology, a very new technology. Uh, and so, and their efficacy has shown to be almost about the same, greater than 90%, which is just kind of like amazing uh, in terms of that, how, how, they, how, they are, how they work. So messenger RNA, we don't have anything similar to that. And it's a very, um, it's a very unique process. And so if you go back and take, if you all remember back in biology, when you were in high school and you to look at messenger RNA and DNA and that sort of thing, messenger RNA carried a little code. Mm-hmm. It kind of sort of comes along and it sort of it then sort of. So that's what you're having is carrying the code for the spike protein. Um, and so they're a little different in terms of what code it's carrying. And so it comes in, it gets given to you, and then the spike, that little bit produces that spike protein, if you will. Then your system sees it and it gets sort of it's a fake, uh, your immune system doesn't know that, and it starts making antibodies. Mm-hmm. And so the next time that it actually can see COVID, doesn't know that it's COVID over there, so it's able to fight it off. So that's how your antibodies are made. So it's a very unique way of doing it. So. From the clinical and research perspective, I have to imagine that this has been, just in terms of the pure science and technology being used, an extremely exciting thing. Do you think that this will change kind of the way vaccines are made in the long run, like this kind of breakthrough technology here? I think so. Uh, and so there are there are some viruses and some that are not so easy. I mean, how long we are and we have yet to have a hepatitis C vaccine. We have yet to have an HIV vaccine. So some are a little bit easier than others, but perhaps some of this technology can be applied to some of, you know, uh, other diseases that we have not been able to move forward. So uh, I'm not a scientist at that level. Uh, so, um, uh, but certainly I think the technology right now is just going by leaps and bounds. So. It's- Finally, you know, a silver lining, I guess, to everything is really the strides that are being made in science and medicine. Um, So what could, for example, someone getting the vaccine expect in terms of of a side effect maybe or or what can we expect to feel like once we get that first dose? And so not everybody is going to get symptoms. So, uh, so Pfizer published some of their information uh, some time ago, and actually their report was in the New England Journal yesterday. It got released. So if you all want to see you know, much more uh, information. You can certainly see it there. Uh, so one of the two things that came up was about fatigue okay. and uh, and headaches, uh, about 3.8% headaches. But you're thinking about these are 44,000 people somewhere around perhaps that were enrolled into this trial. There were people with fever. Uh, we can't prevent you having it. It's, you know, pain at the site, uh, just like any vaccine. So you'll have pain at the site. You may have a little fatigue. You may feel tired. Uh, but all of those are signs and symptoms that your body is just working and have this immune response. Um, that's with the first vaccine. If you have it with the first vaccine, you're probably going to get it with the second vaccine. So that would be something that you would expect at 21 days when the uh, when your booster comes around. And I think one of the myths running around that I'm sure you've heard time and time again are people kind of wondering, oh, the this vaccine can actually give you COVID-19 and um, it, it really can't. That would just be in the body's normal response, the symptoms you're describing, correct? Right. So that's the response that, you, that your, your immune system that's sort of making, you know, what it's supposed to do. Uh, that little piece does not have the virus. Uh, so it really can't give it, it can't give you uh, COVID because it's just, it doesn't have all it does not have the virus. That's not what it is. So uh, just like the flu can't give you the flu, mm-hmm. you know, just like the flu vaccine cannot give you the flu. 
What about um, a patient who has already been infected with COVID-19 and been diagnosed with that maybe even a month prior or two months prior, would they still receive a vaccine? Yes, yeah, so, well, uh, we don't know how long their immunity is gonna last. Mm-hmm. So at this point, there are so many unknowns. So if you did have uh, COVID, uh, you know, we're just saying to go ahead and get the vaccine until we get more information in terms of how long your immunity is gonna last. However, we are not testing uh, to see if you had COVID before we get you the vaccine. You're just getting the vaccine. Mm-hmm. And on that note, kind of just different vulnerable populations. You know, we have a lot of different patient types, um, pregnant women, people, you know, transplant patients who all kind of want to know, like, is this vaccine going to affect me differently? Is it safe for me in my certain situation? Is there any data on that coming out in the future? Is that in the works? So it's probably so there are there are populations that are called special populations and are those that you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. So we still don't have information on the information on the 12 to 15. We're still gathering that. Uh, we don't have information on the little ones, the five, six, seven year olds that still has not uh, moved. Uh, pregnancy, we don't have information on pregnant women. They were excluded from the trial for the obvious reasons. Uh, immunocompromised uh, patients, uh, however, they did uh, sort of immunocompromised is sort of a very large, uh, you have transplants, you have HIV patients, Cancer which patients. they did uh, sort of allow at the end of the trial, so there okay. aren't that many. Uh, but there are a number of immunocompromised uh, individuals for a different reason, so we need more data uh, in terms of uh, safety, and perhaps is it going to be as efficacious in those populations? We don't know, so I think we need more data. Kind of where we are now, I know we talked about earlier, we, we still haven't gotten that full uh, EUA, but for the general population who just is kind of getting anxious and wanting to know, when will I be able to get it? They're not necessarily in that priority first wave. Where should those people turn? Where should they be looking as a source to know like, okay, it's available for me, or, or when should they expect it even? So it's a, a lot of it is a production. You know, mm-hmm. how much do we have? Uh, how much is Moderna gonna have? How much is, you know, you have multiple other ones. You have Novavax, Janssen, you have AstraZeneca. When are those, and is there gonna be enough? Um, and can imagine it's not just the US, it's the entire world. And there are a number of vaccines abroad as well. So uh, hopefully there is uh, there's certainly going to be enough information in the media in terms of when is the next group coming uh, and what those groups are going to be. And so they'll be in stages trying to vaccinate the most vulnerable first. Mm-hmm. And so the young and the healthy are probably going to sort of, uh, you know, be a little bit later. Uh, and sort of and, and children will be later because we're gathering data. So it'll be in stages. So just, just stay tuned and sort of look at, you know, the information should be available and hopefully we'll keep you well informed. And will there be a cost associated with receiving the vaccine? At this point, nothing. Wow. It's it's interesting to think, you know, the longer we study, the longer everyone collects the data, will the COVID vaccine be a year? Will it become something like the flu vaccine, a yearly thing? Every few years, how long will it last? Um, so those studies will continue throughout, I have to assume, how long? The next two, three years even? So, right. So Pfizer enrolled about 44,000 people. And so there is a plan on how to manage all of those patients. And mm-hmm. those patients uh, are going to be followed. So they're going to be followed for months. And so that um, so that we can gather that data. So we want those patients to stay uh, in the clinical trial so that they allow us to get that information. So 
you know, talking with you today, even I'm starting to get really excited, you know, a vaccine's coming, it's almost here. And I think it's it's easy for a lot of us to think, oh, okay, this is about to be over, we're, we're out of it, it's done, 2021, we'll be, we'll be back to normal. But that's not necessarily the case, is it? So if you can give from, you know, that, that clinical perspective, what can we expect life to be like when the vaccine starts rolling out? So uh, first, people need to get vaccinated. Uh, they have to get up there and be vaccinated. If your number is called, please get your vaccine. Uh, and so, but it's going to be some time before the population, uh, we get enough people in the population to be vaccinated. So in the meantime, you have to social distance and you have to wear masks and you do have ha hand hygiene. So those are must mm -hmm. until we get to that point. Uh, so some people think that if they got the vaccine, they can stop uh, wearing a mask. You can't just wait we tell you that it's okay so that we can make a difference and sort of uh, be able to get the entire population to the point where we want to. And another important be. element too is um, ensuring that you do get that second dose, correct? I think, um, you know, right. you think flu shot, one and done, but this does require those two doses. What is the timing like for that again? So it's 21 days from first to second dose. And I think a lot of people are seeing that there is there is some reports that if you get one vaccine, one vaccine is okay. Uh, but when the EUA comes out, it's two vaccines. That's the data that has been presented. That's the data that has been reviewed. So get your booster uh, to ensure that you're you know, fully immunized under the current guidance. And again, you know, in terms of immunity, we don't know how long it will last, correct? Necessarily, we so correct. that's so going to be something we don't know how, it's, how to... long it's going to last. And so uh, we'll just need to follow those patients and see what happens. Um, as we wrap up, I do just kind of have um, sort of a different question for you. You know, you've had an incredible career working in infectious diseases. What does it mean to you to be a part of the COVID work being done at Oxner and be a part of just the incredible things going on to really save a lot of people here? Um, it's daunting at, at times. <laughs> uh, somebody no asked me what was it pre-COVID. I don't remember pre-COVID. Um, so that was... You it's know, all a blur. It's all a big blur. I, I think this is probably the, the biggest thing that I've done in my career. Wow. Uh, and... And so not to sort of see how old I am, but I, you know, I was at the sort of when HIV sort of was coming and, and this is nothing like that. HIV and the vaccine, now the, um, the medications took years mm -hmm. and this has occurred within less than a year's time. Uh, all the things that we're putting forth. So it, it's just amazing to be part of this. And hopefully, you know, we can sort of make a difference just with the, you know, with the the little things that we're we're doing in the whole scope of things. Absolutely. It, it's truly incredible. And I know, I think I speak for everyone when we express immense gratitude to people like you and our healthcare workers who really are making a difference here. Thank you. For more information on the COVID-19 vaccine, visit www.oxner.org slash vaccine or call the COVID-19 hotline at 504-842- 0201. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. I'm Alex Godian with Oxner Health. Join me again next time for another episode of Innovation Health.